Greetings, my name is Griffin Schaefer. And my name is Scott Peterson. And my name is Jeremy Swingle. And this is episode 18 of Inside Quizzing. A podcast about Bible quizzing for folks who love the Bible. And in this episode, episode 18, we have another special guest, as you could tell from our amended opening lines. We have with us uh, Jeremy Swingle, who is a highly experienced, uh, let's see, former quizzer, former internationals quizzer, quiz master, coach extraordinaire. I'm sure you've done other roles as well. Answer judge very frequently, (laughs) very frequently, and probably a few other hats as well. So Jeremy, welcome to the show. And Scott, why don't you uh, kick off the interview? So Jeremy, can you give us a little bit of your quizzing biography? You can probably from around the time you started quizzing and you can be as verbose or as not verbose as you would like to be. All right. Uh, Well, first of all, thanks for uh, having me on the show. It's a privilege. And um, yeah, so I started quizzing uh, in sixth grade. So that would have been 2005, 2006 quiz year. Um, And I did seven full years of quizzing. Um, So I went to Great West six times and internationals three times. So um, I had a very full career. And um, yeah, I spent the first few years of quizzing just kind of coasting at being like a mid-tier quizzer. So I would place somewhere 15th to 25th, somewhere in there individually. And uh, had a great time, learned a lot of scripture and grew a lot, of course, um, in that time. Uh, But when I was a sophomore, I really wanted to put a lot more time into it and focus on quizzing uh, as one of the main things I I did with my time. Um, And so the last three years of high school, I went to internationals and I uh, had the privilege to captain the team all three of those years. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah, and in my senior year, you were coaching, Scott. That was your first year coaching internationals. Uh, we managed to uh, win. We won the finals round, and PNW took first place. Um, so, yeah, I had a very exciting uh, career. It was really some fun times. <laughs> and uh, since then, I've been trying to help out. And I think, Griffin, you used the analogy of hats, um, I, I've worn just about every hat I can think of, except for maybe scorekeeping. I am terrible at scorekeeping, actually. <laughs> so, they, um, if the program knows what's good for it, it won't let me scorekeep. But, um, so yeah, I answer judged for a year, uh, right after high school and, uh, quiz mastered for a few years after that, uh, wrote questions. Um, and then two summers ago, I got married Um, to my wife, Anna, who I actually met through Bible quizzing, um, and took a year off. And this last year, uh, Anna and I started up a team at our church, Trinitas Presbyterian. So we just finished our first year coaching. um, So I finally can add the coach hat to my collection, I suppose. And uh, we had a great time and we're coaching again next year. And yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So that's totally awesome. I love that you uh, went and decided, as as exciting and as fun as quiz mastering is and answer judging is, it's really awesome that you uh, took a break from that and went to spin up a program at your local church. Um, so, I mean, as a first-time program leader, uh, you know, if you got one year in the bag and you, you guys did great as a first-year team, so, like, what kind of advice would you tell a first-time program leader, somebody who's sort of stepping into what you did a year ago about this time? Uh, yeah, um, 
geez, I feel <laughs> after listening to Abby's interview, I feel inadequate to talk about leading a program. Um, uh, but, you know, I, I think uh, for us, what really helped is um, just getting people in the church interested in quizzing. We go to a small church, which I feel is, you know, um, going to be the case with a lot of people, especially quizzing alumni, trying to start up new programs. And so we just talked to everyone about it. You know, we would tell people how we, you know, pe people would ask how we met. And we'd say, oh, through Bible quizzing. And, oh, what's Bible quizzing? And so we interested our pastor in it. We tried to interest a lot of families with young kids, even those who, who weren't yet ready, or, you know, weren't going to be ready to quiz for a few years. Um, we just tried to talk to everyone about it. <clears throat> so I would, I would recommend just drum up interest, like be excited about it, be hyped about it, um, make it a big deal. If, if your church has a website, like the city, a lot of churches use the city, we would always post um, hey, quiz meet coming up. Pray for us. Pray for travel. Pray for um, just the knowledge of the word. Pray that, that the kids would get a lot out of it. And uh, yeah, and I, I think that's probably the biggest advice um, for especially former quizzers starting a program is I, I assume, you know, you have a lot of just natural <laughs> interest in hype for quizzing. So let that be infectious um, around your church. Now, you've had one year of experience with a fairly small team, but have you gained any insights on how to keep quizzers motivated throughout the quiz year? Oh, I think that's what Anna and I are still trying to figure out. Um, you know, last year, <laughs> last year we actually did pretty well with that, I think. Um, it's encouraging when you see rookies whose scores keep going up throughout the year. And that was the case with our quizzers. Um, so I think, th I think that might be more due to them than anything in Anna and I's coaching skills. Um, I think they just had a lot of natural motivation but, yeah, I think uh, keeping interest up throughout the year is partially a matter of, of you know, structure and setting goals, uh, the typical things you would expect, uh, you know, requiring things of your quizzers, expecting things of them, telling them that they can do great things, all of that. But I think a lot of it, too, is just having fun, like especially with younger quizzers, you know. Once you get kids who are in high school and stuff and they can be a little more self-motivated, a lot of them. Um, but if you've got like sixth, seventh, eighth graders, you got to do some fun stuff. You got to, you know, be a little loose about it, do some fun things, um, play some games on your trips, just make quizzing fun. Like our, the, the quizzers in our church have not stopped asking us to run practices ever since the last meet, which was months ago. <laughs> like it's not until like October where the next district meet is, it's like half a year away. And like, I don't care. I want practice. So, <laughs> so I think that's a big thing is just having it be fun. Did you do anything special or, or rather let me turn the, turn it around a little bit. What did you do to recruit the first couple of quizzers from your church? I mean, like you said, your church is fairly small. Uh, they don't really have a, a history with quizzing. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of expecting that you might say like other than you and Anna, like hardly anybody in the church had even heard of, of quizzing maybe. Uh, but like, how did you get from sort of, you're coming in with a kind of a blank slate and saying, and going from zero to I've got a, a couple of quizzers who are willing to invest the time and parents who are okay with their kids investing that kind of time. So kind of how did you go from zero to sort of step one? Yeah. Uh, well, I think there might've been a step zero actually to that, like a pre-step um, in that we'd already, or, I had already at least been attending Trinitas for a couple of years before Anna and I got married. 
And I'd already gained a little bit of a reputation as the guy who always like can quote the verse that's is on the tip of someone's tongue. Like, um, <laughs> so, so that would happen, you know, um, and it became a joke. Like everyone would just make fun of me for it. Whenever I would help with the kids class during the sermon, the pastor would say, and Jeremy can quote the whole gospel of John, you know, so he's really qualified to instruct your children. And it would embarrass me. And then I, <laughs> you know, like, don't come out, don't expect your kids to come out quoting the whole gospel of John. <laughs> but, but so I don't know, it, a, a reputation kind of was gained there sort of inadvertently. I didn't really ask for it, but people thought it was nerdy and fun. So when it came time to start a quiz team, it really was kind of just as easy as going to the few families in our church with kids who were old enough and saying, Hey, do you want to do quizzing? <laughs> and, you know, we got we got good responses. We got either yes or yes, we really do want them to, but maybe it's not, you know, this, there's not room in the schedule this year or, you know, so we, we got a lot of interest that way. Um, and yeah, I think in, in particular, our church is just really receptive to it. Um, so, you know, different churches are going to have different levels of, of interest. Some people are just like really into other things. Um like families, and they just can't see their kids doing it. I mean, when I was recruited for quizzing, I was telling my mom, you know, what, they memorize whole books of the Bible? That's insane. That's like lunacy. There's no way I could ever do that. And my mom had to make me do it. So uh, I think just having having uh, the sort of church where people really respect and regard the word highly will help with that. Um, and you might have some more groundwork to do in proving that quizzing is a good thing um, if, you know, there are some families who are harder to win over. But, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Were there any things from your year of leading a program that you would um, be able to give advice to other first-time program leaders, like make sure you cover this base or make sure you don't do this this way or something of that nature? Uh, yeah, logistically, um, figure out right away how to get in touch with your families and with your quizzers. Um, have a consistent communication system established because um, – I I would always have trouble. I, I just have trouble getting in touch with people sometimes. Like, I don't know what the best way to contact people is. So I'll, like, email, I'll call, or I'll text, and I kind of just, I'm not very good at picking up that. So I think I could have saved a lot of time and headaches um, just uh, figuring that out earlier. I don't know. That's simple stuff. And just logistics um, in general, uh, expecting um, your quizzers to, to be on time for practice and things like that. Just even if it's only a few quizzers, like I think our problem was we only had a couple quizzers, so we could make things really loose and it would be fine. But it ended up being better for everyone, our quizzers and us, to make things structured as if we had a lot of quizzers. Um, and I think we figured that out like a couple meets into the year more. So, yeah, uh, starting the year off that way, starting the program off, I should say that way, would probably uh, help a lot. Yeah, and I think we got that from Abby where um... – the need to have everything very formalized and structured um, was kind of put on Lighthouse because they had so many quizzers, but they're going to benefit from that down the road when all of these structures are kind of already in place to run a really good program, whether they have three quizzers or whether they have 50. Yeah. And uh, we're going to work even harder next year at putting together, like every practice is going to look kind of the same. Um, you know, this time is when we do this, this time is when we do this. And, you know, it doesn't have to be this extremely rigid thing, but having some sense of consistency is, I think, really helpful, especially for something like quizzing, where the whole point is 
rote memorization. <laughs> Structure is what it's all about. Yeah, certainly. So kind of going back in time a little bit, uh, you know, the mental time machine, imagine you can go back in time as, you know, either Quizmaster Jeremy or Coach Jeremy or whatever other hat Jeremy that you want to, you know, put on, um, answer Judge Jeremy or whatever. And you can go back in time and you can talk to Quizzer Jeremy, um, maybe at internationals, before internationals, maybe your first year, your rookie year. Um, what are some things that you would want to tell Quizzer Jeremy? And uh, re recognizing that Quizzer Jeremy is not one person, but like probably, I don't know, three or four different versions of Quizzer Jeremy at, at the various different stages of, of your, uh, of your, of your career. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, really easy <laughs> answer to this one, actually. Uh, I would go back to sixth grade Jeremy and tell him to memorize references <laughs> because amen, I did not. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I did not study references at all until my very last year of quizzing. I mean, I, I did probably a little bit. Like, I'm sure when we did Romans, I could have told you what Romans 323 is. But I, I didn't study them. Um, I didn't study them for every verse I would I would memorize. I would just kind of memorize passages. And uh, I decided after my junior year, which was John, which is the longest material, going into Hebrews and First and Second Peter, which is the shortest material, I reasoned, hey, like, there's no reason I can't pick up the references as well, because it's only going to take me half as long to memorize this. So I did, and I ended up discovering that when you memorize references, not only is there two whole question types that you can now answer, references and quotes, but also it actually takes less time to memorize. Um, and that's because of uh, the human mind loves to break things up into chunks. Uh, and when you have these, I mean, it's built in, it's built into the Bible. It's awesome for quizzing purposes. We have these little things called verses. Imagine that where <laughs> they're just little bite-sized chunks. And if you memorize them, everything flows so much better. And, um, I think I spent less time per verse on Hebrews and first and second, uh, Hebrews and first and second Peter, um, because I was studying the references as I went. So not only was it great for all the points from references and quotes, it was just, time-saving, <laughs> really, legitimately, um, it, it, as, at least until I was done memorizing the material. And then you have to, like, work on quick reference recall, and that takes time. But it helps in the initial stages, for sure. Yeah. So you found that memorizing the references helped chunk up the material, and the gain from that was, like, outweighed the fact that you were kind of breaking up potentially a flow in the verses. I know some quizzers, especially in narrative years, like how it's a story, and they can, it's much easier for them to memorize in larger chunks and like having to know where the verse breaks are and which reference goes with which bit of text might be a hindrance in, in that sort of mind thought. Yeah, I understand the thought process behind it, but I don't think it holds true. Um, I really, I really do think that both can be true and you don't have to always quote with the references. In fact, I would say you should do both with and without because you don't want to be in a situation where you have five seconds left on the timer and two verses to quote and you get stumbled on the, you know, on the verse break. You want to be able to quote it seamlessly without pausing as well. But it isn't, at least I have not found personally that it's difficult at all to go from breaking it up to not breaking it up. Um, in my mind, I'm already thinking of the next words as I'm saying the reference. And that's how things would come together in my mind. I can't guarantee that's, that's the way for everybody, but I, I, I expect that it wouldn't be too much of a challenge. I think both you, in other words, you gain both 
when you study references, and you gain only one when you don't study references. And potentially only one, right? Yeah, and it can be difficult to go back and, and like, pick those up later. Yeah. Um, you're used to just barreling through it. <laughs> well, and, it, and like you said, it opens you up to so many opportunities that are available. Uh, you know, this last year and, and the year before, you know, chapter verse reference questions are quite often available. And so they're, 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 they're kind of an easy gimme if you have the references memorized. But if you don't, they're very, very difficult and bordering on impossible. Yeah. And, and it's surprisingly easy, too. Um, if you just think of some ways to help, do some flashcards. Um, there's there's all sorts of like ways that, I, I don't know, the human brain, God designed it to do some incredible things. And it's amazing all the things that it just does by default without you having to worry about it. Like just a, a little trick here or there will do the whole thing for you. Um, so yeah, I really think there's no reason to not study references. That was a double negative. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're, we're double negatives here all the time. Uh, Good, good. I think I think people understand what I mean. Um, but yeah, it, it's only a help and not a hindrance. And that those extra ten seconds or whatever it takes um, will save hours in the long run potentially. Is there? Um, I mean, can you look inside yourself and come up with the the reasons or the the motivations um, that got you to just of your own accord study really really hard for internationals? I mean, it'd be nice to say. Um, some kind of super spiritual answer. Like I just wanted to, you know, <laughs> know the Bible inside and out. And, and maybe, you know, there was a little bit more maturity behind it when I was a senior, when I was starting to get to the end of my quiz career, but certainly like my sophomore and junior year, I just wanted to be the best. Like, you know, I think that's, and, and that's what quizzing is there for. Um, it's there to provide a, a structure by which natural competitive drive can, can translate into, deep knowledge of scripture so that when, when, you know, people are starting to emerge into the adult world and have those adult, um, those adult motivations, the, the scripture is already there, but yeah, so not to get too far off on that, uh, rabbit trail, but, uh, no, I really, I really just wanted to be the best. Like, um, in my freshman year, I ended up doing far better than I expected in district champs. I got first place actually, which I wasn't expecting. Um, and, that was the moment when I realized, whoa, like I really can be the best. Uh, so that, that led me to study really hard my sophomore year. And then I just kept trying to ramp it up more and more. I, I went to internationals at the end of my sophomore year and realized that I actually wasn't very good at quizzing. <laughs> I thought I was really good at it because I got first place in the district. And then I realized I wasn't. And I remember like I, I always would have trouble adjusting to new um, competitive uh formats so i remember like complaining to uh my coach at the time like this is impossible i'm never going back like this is ridiculous but you know eventually i got over my temper tantrum and i studied really hard for my junior year and did way better and had a great time um and my junior year internationals and made top 10 and then i was like well there's no reason i can't be first place <laughs> you know so I, I guess you know for me it really was um most of the way through I just wanted to be the best, and um, and I, I, you know, I figured out that I could. I, it was actually within the realm of possibility. Um, so, you know, and, and where people place, I mean, I didn't end up getting first place in 2012. I got second place. So, but that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where I actually ended up. It's just like the belief that I could do it 
and that it mattered that I put the time toward it and that regardless of whether I placed first or, or even didn't even make the top 10 that last year, um, like uh, it was just important that I tried if, if I knew I could do it. And of course, it doesn't even matter because the team took first, which is far more important to me. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that would be the motivation. Just honestly, I wish I could say it was more spiritual than that. But <laughs> but thinking about um, the study that you put into internationals, I think most people would be right in assuming that a good internationals quizzer will know the full material with references, have good recall, yada, yada, yada. But for most things in life, the there is some sort of a Pareto principle where 20% of the work will get 80% of the results. In your time studying for internationals, did you find that there was some bit of knowledge or some sort of proficiency that um, surprised you and how much it impacted results? Uh, so in general, working with lists is like that. So question lists, but in particular, um, I would single out, uh, working on, um, lists of interrogative questions because nobody does that. Um, like, I don't know that I've met another person who does that. Uh, people study unique word lists, but for me, I, I didn't study every interrogative, I made a list of what and who interrogatives, so questions that begin with the interrogative word. And I figured out that if I memorized that list, which actually was pretty manageable, you know, there's not that many of them, um, I figured out that I could jump quicker than other people on Ws. And in really fast-paced quizzes, I could even not look for Ws if I had to. And I would have actually a pretty decent chance of getting it right. And... um, Scott, I, I remember going through with you and figuring out, like, there's six what is questions in, like, this one five-verse context. So if you get what is, you probably only have, like, a 20% chance, 15 to 20% chance of getting it right, but you might as well maximize your chances and quote those five verses. Um, and there were examples of things like that where I, what is is not, this didn't happen at internationals, but... There were other examples where I would jump and I actually got it right. I had like a 50% chance and it was some very vague what or who, but there were actually only four of them and two of them were within the same context and I was able to quote and get it right. So I think you mentioned the Pareto principle. Yeah, that's definitely like a lot of work for what might have ended up only being a few questions, but at internationals, that really matters. Um, Just a few questions. People will study whole multiple answer lists or whatever, to get two questions, perhaps, over the course of the whole meet. And those two questions make all the difference. So anyone who's been to internationals can testify to that. Every question matters. Yeah, and every challenge and <laughs> every ruling as well. So speaking of ruling, um, one of my complaints about this podcast is that Scott and I agree far too much. Um, so uh, it, it, Which just bas- basically makes the podcast boring. So let's mix things up a little bit and actually try to find something with which we disagree, maybe. Um, but uh, although that might be hard, even with the three of us here. But that being said, uh, what rule or rules currently exist in the CMA rulebook that you personally would just love to see change for any number of reasons, you know, personal, you know, uh, I'll say professional in terms of either as a quizzer or as a quiz master or as a coach or any, uh, any number of other reasons? Well, you're interviewing the wrong person because Scott and I agree on just about everything. So if you really want to introduce some heated debate, um, I'm not sure I can provide it. 
Um, <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, what rule would I most like to change? Um, so this isn't going to be controversial for Scott. I'm not sure about you, Griffin, but I know Scott agrees with me on this. I would really like to remove the rule um, that requires quotes and finish the verses to be, quote, unquote, spiritually significant or to stand on its own. Agreed. Um, okay. And the reason now, of course, at the district level, we would still have <clears throat> the right to create key, key verse lists and only ask quotes and finish the verses on those uh, verses. And we still would do that. But at the internationals and Great West level, I've found that there is such a wide interpretation as to what it means for a verse to be spiritually significant and to stand on its own, that it's almost worthless for quizzers to even consider the rule. Now, I, I don't know, for me personally, I think it's obvious that to say that the verse must stand on its own and be spiritually significant implies that there is only a subset of verses in the total material that are going to make the cut. Um, and, you know, so it's if, if it's epistle years, it's probably going to be a bigger percentage than narrative years, where you have a lot of verses that just say, then Jesus went here. <laughs> and that's not going to be spiritually significant and stand on its own. Whereas epistles, you have some whole chapters where every verse could could conceivably be a key verse question. But, I mean, every quizzer who's quizzed at an interdistrict level has run into finish the verses where they're just like, what? That's not spiritually significant. And maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong. It doesn't really matter. I mean, the point is that everyone has a different opinion on it. And it's such a gray area that I just, I think it's kind of worthless at the internationals level. And we should be just expecting everybody to be able to quote any verse. Um, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter if it's in the middle of a sentence or whatever. Like I think we should, just be giving references and having the quizzers quote it. And of course, still having two verse pairs is good and having it. Maybe I should take back what I said about starting in the middle of, of a sentence. Um, uh, but I guess the point being, it's just so, so subjective and um, quizzers regularly get kind of burned out by, you know, um, like first and second Corinthians have 600 something verses in them. And probably like 400 of those verses are slam dunk. No questions asked. Amazing uh key verse questions um so but then there'd be some that would just be asked on the other 200 <laughs> and it's like okay but there's so many good ones um and it, it isn't necessarily an issue with the question writers um but i think the rule itself is just too gray and also i have an issue with um with like uh finish this and finish this in the next a lot of times question writers will kind of dig for finish this and finish the next questions um just because just to write them, even if those verses are actually perfectly good as finish the verse and finish these two verse questions. And that's not like that's kind of against the spirit of those types of questions. Um, they should be asked in places where it doesn't make sense to ask the normal FTV or F2V. Yeah, so I guess in general, I'm kind of rambling now. But um, with the finish the verse and quote rules, I think they really could use some revision to make things easier on question writers and question editors, um, people who create the quizzes for Great Western Internationals, and especially for the quizzers. Yeah, and I think key verse questions have a very, to me, they're very different in purpose, or they're kind of the most different question type, because I think most people would agree that they were created so that there are more opportunities for quizzers who are not going to memorize the whole material. Um, and if, if you agree with that assumption, then key verse questions internationals take on almost a different 
um, feel because they're not necessarily intended for quizzers who are studying the whole material. Whereas all the other question types are just a different way to test the material. But key verses are specifically on, I think most people would agree a subset of verses, even if they disagree on how, to what degree it's a subset. But I think that's one of the driving forces behind the different interpretations between um, what's spiritually significant versus what's not. I think a lot of it is behind what, what are we trying to accomplish by asking this question? Because a lot of people will say, um, like me, who wanted to be very spiritually significant, I'm kind of reading the rule book more literally and thinking about it from a district standpoint. Whereas other people will make the argument for international's purposes that they would say, well, these quizzers should know every verse, so why shouldn't every verse be eligible for a key verse question? And that argument, of course, has some validity, but it is directly against the current wording of what's in the rule book. And so it's almost like you're you're making a case for something completely separate, but it just gets conflated into the keepers questions spiritually significant um, argument. Well, and yeah, and that's where I jump in and just say, okay, well, if it doesn't matter because they know the whole material anyways, then let's just get rid of the rule. <laughs> let's let's not specify a subset of verses at the internationals level, so that quizzers are expecting a subset if we're not going to actually make a subset. And I, I mean, I'm I'm exaggerating um, because. As you said, I think everybody does understand there to be a subset, but it seems that some writers think of it as nearly the whole material, and I certainly don't. With narrative years, it's maybe like 30 to 40 percent, and epistles maybe like 60 to 70. Um, so, you know, and, and for other people, it's a different definition. And they're not necessarily wrong. I'm not saying that's like a bad way to see it. I'm saying that the rule is too subjective. Now, to be on a positive note, though, I don't want to sound like I'm just... Um, Hating on the rulebook. I love the rulebook. I love the recent change that um, has their um, quizzes have more finish the verses and quotes now. I really love that because finish the verses and quotes test word perfect knowledge of the material. And I think probably the most important skill to get out of quizzing is not knowing the answer to a what interrogative in a random verse, but being able to quote scripture. So like if if you're if you need it or if a friend needs it, you know it. Word perfect. You know it's the word of God and you're not misquoting it. And I love finish the verses and quotes for that reason. And I'm glad that um, word perfection uh, is going to be tested more at Great West Internationals. I just I hope that it doesn't become a problem because of verse selection is all right. Yeah, certainly. Sure. Sure. I've got a question, Griffin. So, Jeremy, you know, you talked about studying interrogative question lists and kind of knowing how many interrogative questions could feasibly start with what is and things like that. So that's obviously more work than most quizzers are willing to do for internationals. So if you jumped on, say, what is on an interrogative, um, why should you be penalized almost for knowing all of them, but like not being able to actually answer all of them, even if you could, because some of them are in different contexts as we've defined context. Yeah, well, so every good game or sport or whatever um, you want to call quizzing um, contains some degree of what we call luck. Now, more theologically accurate, we could call it God's sovereignty or whatever, um, but just in layman's terms, luck. And quizzing is no exception to that rule. Um, we require questions to be unique by the fifth word, uh, but you could easily jump on something like, for this reason, we blah, blah, blah. And for this reason is maybe not a key phrase, you know, therefore, 
obviously for finish the verses, there's all sorts of questions that can be asked which are not immediately key. Now, at the district level, when people most of the time are jumping on recognition, that's not something that people think much about because, you know, if you jump before you could know it, then that's on you. That's your fault. Um, uh, too bad to be, you know, it stinks to be you kind of thing. But at the internationals level, people kind of see quizzers jumping on what is, and they made a good jump, and they can quote a lot of scripture, and then they're wrong. And it kind of feels disheartening, because it's like, well, they tried, you know, and they have the material memorized. But in reality, what internationals quizzers are doing, uh, the good internationals quizzers, I should I should um, hasten to add, um, they are calculating in their minds the chances of them being correct, given a certain jumping speed. And that's what's driving competition, especially if you go watch top nine quizzes at internationals. You've got three teams with four quizzes on each team. And on any given question, you've probably got at least two, if not all four, of each team jumping. And every single individual is just slightly adjusting their jump speed so that they can just slightly beat everybody else and still get enough information that they have a decent chance of being correct. Um, so... But that, that probability has to be there, or you'll get people who just jump on one syllable um, on interrogatives and, and just completely, like, ruin the competition. So, like, at the internationals level, it's, we have to recognize that the way quizzing is designed, the way the game is set up, the rulebook as it defines the sport of quizzing, um, expects that at that level of competition where everybody can quote the whole material, there has to be some level of luck-based based um, on when people are jumping. Now, what the goal of quizzers who want to be top internationals quizzers should be is to take that margin of, of how long it takes for them to know the answer a reasonable percentage of the time and just shorten that by ever so little. And that's what the work of those question lists is, and the, especially the interrogative list I was talking about. If you can jump on who had and have an 80% chance of getting it correct, you're blowing people out of the water on, on any W interrogative. You're, you're just, you can answer it quicker, and you will get burned. You will end up jumping on some horrible jump where you have a 2% chance of getting it right, even though you made a perfect jump. You got two and a half syllables, three syllables on a W or something like that, and you just, you got unlucky. But over the course of many, many quizzes, the top quizzers will certainly emerge. And, um... With teams, it's a bit more difficult because it's uh, we don't do one-on-one -on -one teams. There's three teams in a quiz. So there is a little bit more like sometimes teams shake out a little differently. Uh, but as far as individuals go, certainly, like the quizzers who place the highest are those ones who have maximized their chances of getting it correct at the smallest amount of information. And that's what internationals level quizzing is emphasizing. I guess put another way, if, if you don't have the errors, if you don't have people getting those errors, it kind of... It, it sort of ruins the competition. That's <laughs> the easy way to put it. Like those errors are part of are part of what makes internationals quizzing what it is. So here's a hypothetical. How would you feel to having two rule books? Like um, you have an internationals uh, level rule book, and maybe that's an internationals slash Great West or you know whatever, and then you have a 
a district level uh, rule book where, you know, uh, maybe at the international slash great West, there are no such things as key verse requirements um, in the sense of like what we were talking about before, right? You just do away with that rule entirely. Uh, every verse is, is potentially key verse, um, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and at the, at the district level, you consider, maybe, I don't know. See, I'm, I agree with you about the context rule. I like the context rule, but I don't know, maybe relaxing the context rule a little bit. I'm not even sure what that would look like. So maybe that's a bad example, but, but really my core, my core question, apart from the bad examples is what do you think about the idea of having say two rule books? Um, <clears throat> well, in principle, I like what you're saying. I don't think having two rule books would clear things up at all. I think that would create a lot of confusion. Um, I think that having some rules that specify different, different, um, I guess, changes in the rules, depending on the level of competition or even just depending on the discretion of the district or the, you know, or the particular quiz, quiz meet hosts. I think that's that's good. And I would actually argue we already have that in the rulebook. There are already rules in the rulebook which specify that they only pertain to internationals. So, for example, no question may be asked more than twice, I think it is in one in one round so i think after prelims they reset but you're never going to hear the same question three times in prelims at internationals that's against the rules um but that doesn't that isn't specified at other levels and then of course on a district level we specify a key verse list and even though the rulebook doesn't say anything about it we say that if a quizmaster asks a uh, finish the verse or quote that is not on the key verse list you can challenge and the quizmaster is obligated to uphold that challenge so I think already there's recognized um, that distinction in the rulebook. I would like to see it used more often. Um, so that's where I agree with what you're saying, Griffin. Um, I think there's a lot of good good uses for that. I, what, actually, I think it is a good example. I would not be opposed to extending the context to 10 verses. If a quizzer can quote 10 verses in 30 seconds, like more power to them. That sounds incredible. Um, <laughs> I just don't want to extend the context to like getting rid of it entirely, if that makes sense. Um, but Scott has, uh, I've, I've talked a lot with Scott before about how I wish certain rules could be adjusted for internationals, like, um, quote two verses or finish these two verses. Well, it's very reasonable to quote more than two verses at a normal speaking pace in 30 seconds. Like the good quizzers can do it. So why are we restricting it to two verses only? I mean, the, the limit could be a bit higher. Um, so that's something I, th that might be another rule I would most like to change, um, is in general kind of extending the length of questions and answers at internationals um, so that the questions themselves are more difficult, so that some of that difficulty of the competition is coming from the questions themselves, not just the speed of jumping. Um, as it stands right now, most quizzers at internationals can answer almost every question if the full question's read. But it'd be cool if we threw some questions in there that only a few quizzers at the meet could even answer. You know, uh, I think that would be interesting, and that would that would help reduce a little bit of the luck involved in quizzing and make it a little more based on um, knowledge and preparation and mental toughness and the other things which people like more <laughs> than luck. Um, so. Yeah, I think that's kind of my thoughts on that. I definitely would like, for example, situations, too. I would love it if we could ask more than three situations um, uh, on a given quote. Because there are some where there's like four or five good ones. And I'm like, yeah, throw that in at internationals. Make them quote like four whole verses. That's awesome. I think that's that's 
precisely what we should want to see at internationals. But <laughs> that's just my opinion. Yeah, I definitely think it could be fun to have questions of a hard enough difficulty that not everyone in internationals even wants to jump on them. Um, because today, even if quizzers are either consciously or unconsciously calculating a probability of getting it right based on a, a jump speed, um, the jump speeds are still very fast and you're hoping for something very unique up front in most of the questions. And I think it makes it pretty pretty difficult, especially in um, a short span of quizzes, for the best quizzers to distinguish themselves. Over 12 prelims, it's always fine. But in um, an almost single elimination final nine bracket, it, it gets pretty um, – you, you might get some interesting finals that don't have the best teams in them. And so I do like that idea of questions of – um, much, much harder difficulty. And then going back to the split rule books, there are a lot of um, thoughts or sentiments or even realities that are true and opposing and not um, completely like definite or all the time type of deal. So you'll often hear people say, you know, like about the new multiple answer rule about not having positive or negative multiple answers that it's really for understandability for the younger quizzers. Well, you could argue that, well, then internationals, these are fine because you're not really worried about that sort of understandability and teachability. And, but then on the, kind of on the flip side, sure, you can have two rule books and people can kind of decide and districts kind of do decide. But regardless of the actual freedom given to the districts, for the most part, districts are going to try, unless they think it's awful for them, um, to match whatever the main rule book says. And so unless the main rule book is a little bit more explicit in the split, like it is in the question type requirements and how many times questions are asked to internationals. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot. And so um, I think that's a difficulty a lot of people have when thinking about a split rule book, because now you can do whatever you want within the district, but for the most part, districts for simplicity more than anything else are not going to deviate unless they think it's super beneficial for the district level, like what PNW has done and other districts have done with keeping a team jumping bonus at the district level. I think that's one of the best examples of um, team jumping bonus being perfect for the district level and assigned seat bonus being perfect for the internationals level for multiple reasons. Um, so I think it is, that's another complication when splitting the rule books. Um, and I had one more thing that has completely evaded me. So you guys will have to pick up the conversation until I remember it. <laughs> All right, no problem. So, Jeremy, in the uh, PNW district, you have developed a very high reputation as a good writer of questions. So I this is obviously a huge topic that we could spend probably two or more podcast episodes talking about actually probably a lot more than that, just to get into all the specificity and, and the detail around it, but at a high level, and then maybe we can drill down based on whatever time we have left, which looking at the clock is not that much, but um, what is your process for writing questions? How do you go about, how do you go about doing it? Do you do it in, in different phases? Do you go back and reread the questions to, to what degree do you edit? Like kind of walk through, how does Jeremy come up with questions for, for material? Yeah. Um, 
Well, <clears throat> whether or not I have a high reputation for question writing depends on who you ask. Some years, if you ask the quizzers themselves, they might say I'm a little too harsh. <laughs> I remember my situation question set for Axe was just brutal. I think I required all the possible information in just about every quote. So I was always having quizzers going back five verses. And yeah, I, I had I had some <laughs> some quizzers who weren't the happiest with me that year. Um, but whether whether good or bad, I can I can definitely enumerate my question writing process. Um, I I like to go through the material one question type at a time. So I know that some people like to take one verse and kind of dice it apart and put everything in its right spots. But for me, when I'm writing interrogatives or references or quotes, I really have to be like in that mode. I have to be thinking in the terms of that question type, and I think that helps me avoid careless errors, like accidentally designating something the wrong type. If you're doing all your multiple answers at once, you're never going to accidentally mark it as an interrogative. You're never going to accidentally throw a single answer question in there unless you're really tired. You know, you're going to um, avoid some of those errors. But just also mentally for myself, I can't jump between question types like that. So I'll take, you know, say next year's John. So let's just say John, chapter one, and I'll go straight through and write... <clears throat> all the multiple answers, then all the, um, usually I'll do references all in one swoop, just because it's hard to distinguish between CRs and CBRs. And what I do is I'm looking at the, the text. Um, for interrogatives, I'm looking for unique words or, or unique phrases um, and trying to write questions based off of that. Um, and I'm just trying to see what jumps out to me in the text. I'm looking at it kind of grammatically, um, not not thinking at this stage initially about like what the text even means. I'm just looking at it and trying to think what would test this verse well. And if there doesn't end up being any good questions from that verse for the question type I'm writing, I'll move on. I, I won't worry about it because I figure that one of the other types will pick it up. Some people try to force a question type, but not every verse needs to have a question of each type. It just needs to be tested in some way. So there are some verses that have no interrogatives, but a few good references. So that's fine. Um, if I don't see anything good, I won't force a question. I'll just move on. <clears throat> I try to be reasonably thorough. I'll try to find every question that I think is good and valid. So not just valid, but also good. Not, not grammatically weird, not tricky, um, not theologically inaccurate. <laughs> Sometimes you can write grammatically valid questions that actually distort the meaning of the text, so I try to avoid that. Um, and, uh, yeah, I try to be thorough without being pedantic. So, you know, you could write something like, um, sometimes, you know, the word for is at the beginning of a verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So I wouldn't write both all have sinned and what, as well as the question for all have sinned and what. In my mind, those are the same question. But if a question goes on for a long time and could start at two different like clauses, I might start the question at both both of those points because um, they, they start very differently. So I'm looking for questions that start differently and um, and that are reasonably different enough. I also don't tend to write too many um, questions that are like the reverse of one another. So like... Uh, if the verse says red house, I wouldn't write both red what and what house. I would pick whichever one I, I like more and go with that one. Because in my mind, that's testing the same knowledge um, one way or another. Now, if they're both unique words, I might make an exception because unique words are, are great to write questions off of. But 
Um, yeah, so that's that's my like general process. Um, and I also help write finish the verse and quote lists for the district. I've done that a number of years now. That's sort of a little different, but same process applies, except there I'm, I'm looking a lot more at the meaning of the verses. Um, but I just go through the whole the whole text and pick out what I like. Um, I usually don't edit my own questions. I'll usually have someone else do it, uh, have Scott take a look at them, um, or have Scott compare it just uh, automatically using whatever magic he has on Excel <laughs> to make sure that um, I don't have any uh, weird duplicate questions or, or whatever. Um, I find that having another set of eyes on it is helpful because then someone can say, hey, you wrote this question. It's like technically valid, but I don't think it's very good. And then we can talk about it. And Scott and I have probably spent, <laughs> I don't know, what do you think, Scott? Like 50 plus hours <laughs> just typing back and forth on Facebook Messenger about this question or that question and really just refining our understanding of what makes for good question writing. Um, yeah, I mean, it's probably close to 100 by now, but... <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I kind of went through the specifics, but in general, I think having your questions challenged, really getting into it with someone um, about whether a question is good or bad, valid or invalid, um, yeah, really, really useful. Uh, and I think I, my question writing is a lot better because of Scott and to lesser degrees, but still important degrees, other people... <clears throat> I help edit the international's question set. I've done that for two years now, and I've gotten to see some other great question writers, and um, I've seen some questions that are like, wow, I didn't think of that one. Like, that's that's actually really cool. And, and so, yeah, communication, and um, depending on the knowledge of others, really helps. All right, cool. Well, I think uh, time-wise, we've got enough time for one, possibly two questions. So, Scott, have you thought of your the one that you had in the back of your mind? I haven't, but I think we can hit another one from our list here. So, Jeremy, thinking about either internationals or Great West or even normal practices or other things, is there a quiz? Is there an activity that happened in the context of quizzing, but unrelated, completely unrelated to quizzing, that was one of your favorites or you most enjoyed? Yeah, let me think. Um, well, for internationals, of course, we would always make a big trip out of it. So when we went to DC or the, the quiz meet was in Pennsylvania, but uh, we toured around D.C. and we saw, you know, all the, the landmarks and, and tourist attractions. And in my senior year, we were in Minnesota, so we went to the Mall of America and rode roller coasters. And um, internationals, typically, there's there's always some fun thing involved. Uh, one thing that was really nice, though, for just, like, normal practices is I had a coach. Um, I had the same coach all seven years of quizzing um, at North Seattle Alliance, uh, where uh, the, the church I quizzed for. And she was just really active in like doing fun things with us. So I remember actually Griffin, um, she was good friends with Griffin and uh, his family. So even though Griffin, this was like during the years Griffin wasn't involved in quizzing, um, we took a trip to go see Griffin. <laughs> do you remember this? Griffin? I do. Yes, I do. It must have been like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, and we had just heard all these things about Griffin. Um because, you know, he's this awesome guy who's funny and whatever people were saying about you, I, I, I don't know. Good things. Um, <laughs> and and it, I guess it was just decided that it'd be fun to go hang out. I, I don't know what the thought process was, but it was indeed fun. We had a road trip over over to your house and um, we hung, we out, hung out and movies. watched movies. Didn't we practice? Didn't we set up? Didn't we do a practice like one just for fun? 
or was it purely just a road trip? I don't know if there was any practicing involved at all. It was just me and the other two quizzers um, on that team. There was only three of us that year, and we took a road trip. <laughs> and Griffin was this cool guy who had been talked up to to us for years at that point. So we thought you were cool. Uh, and then I shattered <laughs> that much, myth. Not, yeah, not much has changed in that perception, I, I, I have to add. <laughs> I still think you're cool, Griffin. <laughs> But it was cool. It, it showed to us that our coach really cared about having a good time, having fun with us, like investing into our lives. And she really did. She was uh, just a great role model for uh, all the quizzers who interacted with her. And that, that was great um, question, question writing. Sorry, I'm looking at the show notes and other words are popping into my sentences. It was really great coaching. That's what I meant to say. You remember I did remember what my my it's a pseudo question, more of a statement, Griffin. All right, cool. Go for it. I think I'm. I think I'm generally in favor of actually ditching the context requirement because I think the 30 seconds serves as a decent pseudo context requirement. And then you still can't say stuff wrong. So if I'm just looking for one proper name as the answer, you can't say a bunch of other proper names still, but it just allows that if you jump on therefore and you can quote nine therefores in 30 seconds, I really don't care what context they're from. I can see the argument. I, I will I will express one experience that I had as a quiz master at a world meet where a particular quizzer jumped on a chapter reference question. And uh, according to the world rules at the time, context was for chapter reference question, chapter only reference, was the context was the chapter. And she jumped, uh, the quizzer jumped before I formed the syllable of the verse, which according to world rules at the time was not a foul. Um, she was uh, given the 30 seconds, but she had absolutely no idea what the, uh, so no, it would have, it would have had to have been a chapter verse reference then. Yeah. See, I'm, re- I'm, it's been so long. I don't remember it. So I, maybe it was a chapter verse reference and context was the chapter or something. And basically she just barreled through. No, 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 no. No, it, ha- it was a chapter. See, I'm remembering it all wrong. It was a chapter reference question. She jumped on the chapter reference before I formed the first syllable of the first word. So she just started quoting the chapter. And I think like the, the answer was in verse 14 or something like that. And, or maybe somewhere in there, it was, it was a, it was a younger teen or something. And she just barreled into the thing at lightning speed and basically got through the quote of, of 13 or 14, uh, with about two or three seconds to spare on the clock, got it right. Uh, third quizzer bonus won for, won the, won the championship for, for a team. The room just went into like an eruption of applause. I mean, it was way cool. So, I mean, there, there are moments like that if, if we decide to relax the context rule, but at the same time, like, you know, if you've got a word, I don't know, even like therefore, if there's, you know, five therefore spread out through the material, uh, I guess I'm kind of okay with it in the notion of, of saying, well, yeah, if there's somebody who can actually knows all of those five verses and can, and has them memorized and can go and quote all five of them in 30 seconds, um, maybe that's enough. I don't know. I I would love to see it. (laughs) So I, you know, maybe I, maybe you're persuading me too, Scott. No, I do think that, I mean, maybe this is due to age, but um, I've heard lots of older people say they wished quizzers talked slower, 
with greater articulation and louder and into the mic and wish there was some rule requiring them to do so. And I always explain that it would, there's no rule that could feasibly be applied to require quizzers to do that. Just today, they have to make themselves heard to the quiz master, um, which is as reasonable as you could ever get. But I do wish that quizzers made themselves heard very clearly to the entire room, to the entire audience. Um, and so this would definitely create an incentive to speak faster. Um, and even if it's in cases where the quizzer does know the material very well, um, I want to not introduce too many incentives to just go super fast and per- probably be unintelligible to the audience. Yeah, that's certainly an audience concern from time to time. Um... So I think that's a good point. But, you know, the quiz master and answer judge have the verse in front of them, and it's surprisingly easy to, like, tell what the quizzer is saying when you're reading what they're supposed to be saying. And then you can, like, actually pick out that they're, in fact, saying the right words. The problem is when they don't speak into the mic. That's the real issue. <laughs> because then it's like you can't even pick up. Like, it's it's just not even hitting your eardrums. Yeah. Because to, to me, if you, if you ditch the context rule you basically are just creating um, cross-reference questions based off of the amount of the material that the quizzer has jumped on. Um, And I'm kind of fine with them if they can answer such a cross-reference question. Cross-references in general would be great to bring back. Um, Something that requires synthesis of the material. I mean, now I'm getting back into my little pet theories, my quote these five verses, um, you know, opinions, but... Certainly, I think something that, like, it'd it'd be impressive, you know? And I I hate to say it, but at internationals, I kind of want to be impressed, like, by the other quizzers when I was a quizzer, but also, like, as an answer judge. I answer judged a couple years ago at internationals. And, man, some quizzes were just so much fun to answer judge for. So much fun to spectate. It's incredible, um, like, just watching it. And I think things like that, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a sucker for um, for really intense competition and people, you know, halfway showing off. Maybe maybe there, there's a little bit of, of that in me. But I don't know. I think people would love to go to internationals and see someone quote seven different verses from different parts of the material that start with therefore in 30 seconds. I mean, I'd be tempted to award them points even if they got it wrong. <laughs> they could do that. Yeah, like, it certainly would be very impressive. Well, and speaking of impressive, this was an impressive podcast uh, episode that's gone a little bit too long. So unfortunately, despite the fact that I'm sure we've got a lot more questions and we could actually talk longer, we're probably going to have to close here. But that being said, we certainly want to bring Jeremy back uh, for future episodes. And so thank you, Jeremy, uh, so much for taking the time uh, to be able to record this. And I want to uh, let folks know, of course, as usual, that if uh, you have any particular questions for Scott or myself or for Abby or for Jeremy or future guests on the show, or if you have a suggestion for a guest that we should have on the show, uh, or any kind of feedback whatsoever, please email us at iq at cbqz.org. So iq inside quizzing at cbqz.org. And follow us on Twitter at inside quizzing. All right. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Scott. And thanks, Jeremy. See you later, everybody. <laughs>